Have you ever asked yourself, why am I here? Why was I born? What is the reason I'm on this planet? Welcome to the Purpose Hunter podcast. My name's Matt Barafato, and I'm the Purpose Hunter. I started this podcast with one goal in mind, and that was to help individuals that were struggling with these life questions. People that don't know the answers and they're looking for clues or looking for just anything that will help them to figure this out. So you'll always hear me do interviews with ordinary people. And some of these people have figured out why they're on this planet. And some of these people just aren't sure. And some of these people don't know at all. But they will give you clues that you will be able to apply to your life and help you figure out why are you on this planet? What is your purpose for being? Matt Barafato, the Purpose Hunter, and welcome to another episode of the Purpose Hunter podcast. I am just really excited about today's episode and this interview we're going to have today. I'm going to give you a little background. Uh, my guest today is a good friend of mine from high school that we haven't seen in like a lot of years. We, we you know, our, our career paths took us in, in, in a direction where we didn't get a chance to see each other very much. We got reconnected recently as I uh, have uh, created, you know, I wrote my new book and is, and all of a sudden George was following me. So uh, Dr. George Quill, welcome to the Purpose Hunter podcast. Thank you, Matt. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm really excited. You know what I'd like to do, and I always try to do this with uh, each of my guests, um, give me a, what I'm going to call a 30,000 foot view of where you've been. I mean, start with where you grew up, um, give a little family background, and then as you went through your existence, how you ended up to where you are now and where you live now, because uh, I think that's really helps people when they when they hear our heart, when they hear our conversation. Well, the cool part about it, I think, is that you and I probably first met each other when we were 13 years old. <laughs> we, um, I was the oldest of four boys growing up on the north side of Chicago and, and then the suburbs, um, probably like you did. Um lucky enough to have two parents who uh, put an emphasis on education, probably because my father didn't go to college till he was 30. Um, but we, all four of us, um, I was the oldest of four, as I said, all four of us went to the same high school that you, you did. And uh, we were blessed to go to that school because there were so many mentors there who cared about us, uh, not just academically, you know, and I think that's what really made a difference. After high school, I attended the University of Notre Dame, uh, which is where I met your bride, um, we were friends of the four years we were there um, and then uh, matriculated at Northwestern University Medical School. After that, I did a five-year orthopedic residency across town on the west side of Chicago at Rush Press St. Luke's. It's a thousand bed teaching hospitals, also affiliated with Cook County and uh, University of Illinois. And then at the time I was doing it, there weren't many uh, MDs doing it, but um I decided to subspecialize within orthopedics, so I did a fellowship in Baltimore at uh, Union Memorial, which was part of the Baltimore shock trauma system and affiliated with Johns Hopkins. And they, um, people in Louisville, where I live now, found me uh, because there were only about eight or 10 MDs uh, training each year to do, to subspecialize in foot and ankle. 
Um, and they found me. I figured, eh, the cost of living is great. It's only 300 miles from my parents' driveway. And we've been in Louisville the last 33 years. That's very cool. And it's funny, you know, when I think back, um, George, and I, so George and I went to Notre Dame High School in Niles. And I was never in any of George's classes. He was way above me as far as sciences and a lot of stuff we were doing, which I always, I think back and I, I just smile a bit. So our friendship was actually outside of academics. We got to know each other because of the friend, the circle of friends. And I, and I really, uh, I really, that's really a little bit how we got a little bit reconnected because of some of the same Notre Dame Dons that still hang together. That still, I mean, when I say hang, are just staying, are staying together and staying connected. So, well, I, I'm going to jump right in, George. I'm going to ask you my favorite question that that I love to ask my guests, and that is, purpose or passion? Which comes first? What do you think? Hmm. I know you're a purpose hunter, <laughs> <laughs> but I think you do have to be passionate if you're going to enjoy fulfilling your purpose. That's for sure. So, I would say passion first. And if you're lucky enough to be like me, and obviously you, um, being passionate about something that dovetails with your purpose is really uh, what it's all about. I, I love to hear that. And, you know, it's the fact that you, um, some people jump out, you know, just say, here's the answer to that. Mm -hmm. Most people don't. And the way you just pause and thought a little bit about that. Um, what I love about that question is this, George, because it just sort of sets the table. So that I can actually ask you the real question. The real question I'm asking people, George, is why were you born? What was the reason God put you on this planet? Good question. I like to think that, and I've told this to my kids, I, I'd like to think that it's because I was put here to leave the world a better place than when I arrived. And I think with the help of my great wife of 38 years, I, we accomplished some of that just by bringing three daughters into this world, three caring, intelligent, uh, spiritual ladies who are doing well on their own. Um, uh, but I think that's probably also why I ended up gravitating towards medical school. You know, um, uh, besides my dad finally getting to go to school when he was 30, I was the first in my line to go to school, certainly first to, to go to graduate school. Uh, we come from a long line of boilermakers and steel fabricators and, and welders. And um, my great-grandfather founded the company in 1890 that uh, – was carried into the fourth generation. Um, and that's probably how I ended up gravitating towards orthopedics because uh, I got really good with my hands. I knew how to, I could put people at ease, my patients at ease by telling them that uh, you're talking the only orthopedic surgeon who knows how to arc weld and use an oxyacetylene torch. <laughs> <laughs> that's fascinating. Yeah. I, 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 and here's one of the reasons I, and so I'm going to, I want to push you a little bit more because what I, again, the re, the main reason for my podcast is to help those people who are struggling with this question of purpose, and when they listen to our conversation, they might get some ideas and clues that they'll, they'll get clues in their own life of what they might be able to apply to their own. So one of the things that most people do is they give um, a general answer that sounds sort of nice and fluffy on, this, on, on the surface, and as you just did, to leave the, to leave the world, I think you said, as in, in, a, better, in a better way, as a, as a better place. How are you, how, how are you going to do that? When you say, that's the reason I'm here, how will you do that? How have you done that? And, and you know, I, I, and I don't think I thought about this retrospectively till I reconnected with you, really, because it, it mm -hmm. things just, and as you've been amazed in the past, things kind of fell into place for me. And that's why I said passion came first. I'm, 
I don't know about your other listeners, but it's possible that I knew it as early as age 17 that I had a gift and, and what my and started looking for my purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, as you and I have talked in the past, we were gifted with some great teachers and mentors, even in high school. And if you look back on things, you look at the dichotomous pattern of how you made choices through your life, how you make one decision could have gone one way, another decision could have gone another. There were people that the Lord put in my path, I think, that helped me make a difference. I can remember at 17, uh, when I thought all summers were for, you know, getting to meet girls, play softball and drinking beer when I can get away with it, um, <laughs> a, a teacher who instead, the, between my junior and senior year of high school, gave me a list of um, 10 great books he wanted me to read and give him a little report. Um, and I, and then towards the end of senior year, when we were applying to colleges, I said, well, I'm an Irish jock growing up on the north side of Chicago. I'm going to Notre Dame. And he said, well, I, you know, you've been given a gift. You better think twice about it. I've got you an application for Harvard, Princeton, and, and Stanford. I think you ought to look at. Uh, as it so happens, I ended up matriculating at Notre Dame. And uh, this person, I don't know if you want me to name him or not. You know who sure, he is. Sure, absolutely. Yeah, Dave Porterfield uh, entered the priesthood. So he started, entered the seminary uh, at the same time I arrived on the Notre Dame campus. And we kind of hung out together and went through things together. Yeah, I started college as an English major because um, I really couldn't come to grips with whether I wanted to devote the dedication it took to get through pre-med and med school and residencies. Um, and uh, and it was Dave who, he helped me with my writing and things, but he also told me I should make the best use of um, the gifts that God has given me. So I transferred into the College of Science after my sophomore year and made up all the time so I could uh, get to medical school on time. Um, and I think it made a big difference. I just felt like if I was going to give up my late teens and 20s to train for something I wouldn't even begin doing until I was in my 30s. I want to make wow. sure it's the right decision. Wow. And it was in hindsight. In those 33 years of my practice, uh, I've gone by so quickly. Now, that's interesting. I'm going to ask you a question about um, you mentioned gifts. And if you had to right now, and again, you have a chance to look back, back to when you were talking this time, what were your top two gifts that you had? God-given gifts that you were really good at and you really didn't have to try for, but they were really just part of your being. What were those two, two things? Well, um, I think I am a very perceptive person um, when it comes to intuiting other people. Um, mm-hmm. And I've got a big heart. My kids will give me a hard time crying at movies sometimes. So <laughs> been, I guess, I guess it would be my, uh, and I don't want to sound immodest, um, my ability to catch on to things quickly and apply mm-hmm. them where they needed to be to help other people. Um, uh, as you and I had talked in the past, I also had a gift for languages. And uh, mm-hmm. looking back on it, I think that the Spanish training I had in high school uh, that opened up conversational Spanish uh, as an undergrad and beyond ended up dovetailing with my purpose and my passion, which is now bringing medical care to Central America through my medical missions. Wow. See, now that, so, and, and again, when I say clues to people who are listening, George, think about what I just asked you. And you, you said you were almost afraid to say, uh, I, you know, there's things that happened to me. I just could see, I could see things. I could just understand things. Well, you know what? 
God created each of us with these in, unique gifts. And people, I don't think, are recognizing that when you are searching for what your reason is that you're on this planet, you have to connect one of those, one or two or top of those, what I call the top three. Because when you do the top three, all of a sudden, when I do that exercise in workshops, George, you should see, I wish I had a video camera on the faces of the people when I'm asking them to look back to when they were in eighth grade and high school, you know, and made freshman or sophomore in high school, what were those things? And all of a sudden they start writing these things out and you could see them smile. And then I asked them, I said, what are you smiling about? And they go, I haven't done some of that since back when I was there. And I go, why not? So I think it's fascinating. And I love that you shared that because all of a sudden, as you just said, one of the things that you're doing now, and again, before I go to the, you know, the stuff you're doing with Central America, I'm going to ask you this. Was there a catalyst that actually opened up your mind to seeing that you were going to gravitate towards this purpose that you had? Towards the one specific to my missions or? Yeah, sort of like your mission or if it, you know, maybe back when you were 17, was there something that happened? Was there one person, obviously the teacher with uh, Dave Porterfield helped in that, but was there one thing? Sometimes there is, sometimes there's not. I like to ask that question. Yeah, I think so. Um, if you remember, everybody was required in our high school to take a foreign language. And I, looking back on, I think I was one of only two guys in our class who had, who I'm, I consider the better of the two language professors uh, growing up. And I had them for all four years. Um, and we were reading Don Quixote in Espanol by the time we were seniors in high school, you know, and, wow. and being conversational and things. Um, in fact, I tested into, I think, senior level Spanish when I was at Notre Dame, and it was taken for fun. The rest of my <laughs> pre-med stuff, eh. <laughs> um, but um, I think that it's interesting that that Spanish teacher and I reconnected when he saw, someone had posted what, something about my mission, and when he saw it, he congratulated me on Facebook, and I reconnected with him, and I said, well, I think a lot of this was you know the lord's doing um and and he put me with you and you your it was your gift of giving me a love of the spanish language that that led to and it dovetail it just kind of fell into place and uh, as i think i've told you one of the things i'm doing now that i'm retired is i'm playing keyboards in two different bands and in the first really successful band i played with here in louisville the drummer was a pharmacist who had been um doing this mission for three or four years before i ever went and he he asked me to go do it the guy who did orthopedics before me i guess wasn't was no longer doing it for one reason or another um mm -hmm. so it, fortuitously by my through my love of spanish language playing in that particular band i met someone who had a connection was on the board of children of the americas and i went for the first time uh, 11 years ago and i've been going twice a year and more since then that's fabulous so um those of you who are listening to this program today, I'm telling you what George just said is, I think, key. Um, the good friend that you and I both know, Michael Schwass, good friend of mine who was the hockey player, ended up breaking his neck playing hockey. He ended up uh, passing away about 13 years ago. He was the one that told me this, George. You want to make God laugh? No, really, George, you want to make God laugh? Show him your plan. Right. And and There's and when no you Yiddish just saying that too, right? Well, Yiddish saying, "Man plans, God laughs." <laughs> and I and but when you when I think about that, and I'm coaching people to that, a lot of who it's not like you would have planned that to happen with, uh, you know, it was Tony Costanza, right? He was a teacher that you had right. when That's you right. when you when that happened, and that who would have thunk that that connection 
would have led you to the path. And then all of a sudden, this gift that you have to be able to play keyboards. Think about that, George. Not everybody can have music that just sort of flows out, especially when that's like a second. You just love it. And, you know, it's just an interesting, you know, that's what happens to a lot of times. People, they, they, they are not paying attention. All of a sudden, these connections made, they turn around and go, oh, my gosh. And then this purpose emerges. And when I thought about getting reconnected with you, and I, I, I was really curious, and what is George doing now that he's not practicing medicine the way he used to? And when you tell me, tell me a little bit more about that. So you got connected to that mission. And then what happened? What was your, what was the path to get into that? So it was really interesting. Um, there are a number of God-fearing people and good people who do mission work. But this one just, uh, like I said, dovetailed with everything I wanted. The, the organization that I met was called Children of the Americas. And you can look up more information on them if you wish, childrenoftheamericas.org. Um, but I first went 11 years ago. It, basically, they're a, a 501c3 nonprofit company. Everybody pays their own way there. Uh, even the administrators are are, are not paid. Um, but I can remember the very first time I went, um, it was just, uh, it was such an experience. People coming up to you and this ugly white guy from up north and giving them your baby, trusting him to fix them. Hmm. Um, my nurse practitioner, when I was going to leave, uh, she said, and I was all concerned about patients I'd operated here. She goes, oh, don't worry about your patients here. Go change some lives. And that's what it is. I mean, I could spend... Uh, it's a very organized team. I was always looking for a way to give back. And it's different if you're going to go and hand out vitamins or eyeglasses. I wanted to find an organization that could support me uh, as a fully functioning orthopedic surgeon. And we brought a team of 115 people, everybody wow. from pre-op to post-op. We would take over an outlying national hospital for seven to 10 days. So we, we had anesthesiologists, plastic surgeons, uh, general surgeons, pediatric surgeons, and we ran clinics too. The clinics would see 3,000 people in a week. Uh, we did an average of 150 to 160 surgeries. I personally did about 32 surgeries in four days time every time I went. Uh, wow. And then we provided post-operative care and I would go follow up every March. The teams are always in January and I would follow up in March and November. And March was follow up with the kids I had operated and November was pre-operative planning and getting kids ready for the next year. Um, and um, a lot of what I saw was stuff that we take for granted here in the States. Mm -hmm. um, neglected club foot, uh, neglected trauma, um, infections, cerebral palsy, myelomeningocele. Um, there's really no, well, for the majority of people down there, um, it, there's no access to postnatal care. So that's when non-operative care of club feet is most effective. If a baby is born in the United States with a club foot, the incidence of which about worldwide is about one in 1500, that baby gets an early diagnosis, gets serial casting. And by the time he's ready to stand, he usually doesn't need surgery. But I think since year, each year, I only have one week to change a child's life. And since the prevalence of neglected clubfoot is so high, there's always going to be this need on surgical missions to do surgery. Um, and it's, it's just a, a shame that the severity of the stuff I saw, which could be prevented with early access to care here. But since I've retired, I won't be the one doing all those surgeries anymore, but I found a well-qualified successor. And my goal now for 2024 and beyond is to make a city of an impact through an educational program. There are only, last time I looked, there were only four 
orthopedic surgeons in all of Guatemala who are trained in this non-operative method of care. Mm -hmm. So I want to leave a legacy and a, a perpetual educational gift. I'm, I'm working on um, developing an educational program to teach this non-operative method of, of club foot care so that the kids don't have to have these big surgeries going forward. And that's where I'm going now. I love that. And you know what happens every time someone shares their story when they're connecting to purpose, George, and you're just sharing it right here. It's really interesting how there you went there and you first began the mission where you were doing the surgeries. And now all of a sudden, this revelation comes to George to say, man, if we can go upstream a little bit and actually help fix without having to do the surgeries, how many more people can actually be served and touching and changing lives the way you are? And, and who would have thought you wouldn't have first thought that. But this happens it's one of those things about purpose hunting, George, that happens every time people think, oh, here's my thing. And before I know it, before they know it, it morphs into something what, a lot greater or bigger where you can take, make even a bigger impact. Is that, does that make sense? Oh yeah. And, and you probably could detect it in my, in the way I kind of started rattling on and on that it is a passion, but it's a passion that's found a purpose. Exactly. And now, and so what's really cool about that, you know, when you think about it and you, you know, um, as a matter of fact, I'm going to, rather than make a comment, I'm going to ask you this question because I think it's really, I, I think it'll be really telling. Um, what would you say if you could only give one piece of advice to someone who was struggling with their purpose, George, they were just not sure, you know, a lot, my, the biggest, most common answer I get from people is I think I know, I think this is my purpose, but I'm not sure. What is, what would you say to someone? What is the one piece of advice you would give them on how they could actually Re figure that out or make that make that a reality or, or, or have it come? That's a good question. I think that if you think that's your purpose, take the next step and explore it. What's the worst that could happen? You've, mm -hmm. it, it didn't work out and you'd go try something else? Mm -hmm. If I hadn't taken that first trip when I was overwhelmed with lines, I don't know, almost it, it extended around the block of people waiting to see me, it, it wouldn't have opened the door. I had to take that first step. Mm. And hindsight, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. It all right. makes sense to me now, but I, I think maybe in this day and age, with all these distractions we have, even at stoplights now, people are distracted by their phones. Mm -hmm. Maybe people need to have a little time each day, if not for prayer, certainly for introspection, and uh, and think about what you can do to make the place this world a better place than when you arrived. That you know, and I think that's really powerful. That. Um... I, you're the first person who has articulated, make the world a better place. And everybody, because everyone's gifts are unique and different. And, but you just said, if you think this is, if you think that this is, might be your purpose, what is that next step? Think forward. And as a matter of fact, what I love about what I do with purpose hunting, I just make people think deeper, George. I, I never realized, yeah. Yeah. I never realized that was something that was so important to me was to actually let people think deeply about something that probably they haven't thought about before. If you don't give them those exercises, they're never even going to go there. They're not going to think about it. Oh my gosh. And that, that is, that is just really huge. The the other question I have for you, which you've answered it, you, you've alluded to it because you've already used the word legacy in, that, in our conversation before. Um, give me, if you were able to actually detail what is the legacy you want to leave in this world, if you were, if you were to die, if you were to, if our Lord, you know, plucked you tomorrow, well, what is it that you want your legacy to be, and how is that going to come forward? You know, it's funny. Uh, 
every year at birthday and Father's Day and Christmas, my kids will ask me what I want. Uh, and, you know, I'm a guy who doesn't need much. If I do want something, I just find it and buy it. Um, that's a blessing there. Yep. But every year I tell them only half facetiously, all I want in this world is the love of my family and the respect of my peers. And then they go, oh, dad, that's, we, can't, we can't get you that. <laughs> but I get like, well, restate your question another way. And I think I have an answer. Um, you know, I what I what I like to hear is anybody who can give more detail to articulate. OK, OK, OK. Well, one one thing I came across in my readings and believe me, I read a lot before I considered retiring because I if orthopedics is not just what I did is what, what I am, who I am. I, I read one um, a couple books by David Brooks, and he said that perhaps the detail you should do is to to find your purpose is to strive for accumulating eulogy virtues rather than resume virtues. I don't know if you've read that author. I, I, no, I haven't, but I haven't heard that before. That's yeah, so cool. He says, instead of, you know, the first part of your life when you're building a career, you're, you're, you're adding things that you want seen on your resume to make you look better. But maybe what we really need to be doing is finding those things that you want to hear read about you at your funeral. The, you know, the, the, the eulogy virtues, the principles mm -hmm. that kind of mm -hmm. define a life of meaning and purpose. I think mm -hmm. that it dove, his, that author dovetails with everything you've been trying to do. Wow. I'm I'm honored that you even put me in a category like that because I've heard that many times, but I never had it articulate what you just said. The the attributes, how did you phrase it? Attributes so, of your eulogy, or yeah. So you want to you want to strive for the virtues for eulogy virtues, virtues rather than mm -hmm. resume virtues, and it's I not it. me. David Brooks said it. Yeah, no, no, I love it though, but and I and I and I really life, yeah things you want to hear read at your own funeral. Oh, you know, not, a lot of people, that's one of those things people don't like to think about, George. I, I got to mm. tell you. And I would and, not want to write my own obituary. That's for sure. <laughs> right. Yeah, I mean, who who does? But it's funny when it when you actually think this way, George, it forces you to start thinking forward to that next step. And that's why that's why I love the question of the legacy. And actually, you you gave some advice that would be for someone who um, just someone who might be struggling with purpose. Let me change that, make it a little more personal. What would you tell your daughters or your grandkids on how can you make sure that you're finding your purpose and then living it every day? Well, when I was um, when I was burdened with um, private high school and two college tuition payments at the same time, mm -hmm. I always said, find something you can be passionate about and then find a way to make a living at it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I think... I, I think when I, I would much rather lead by example. And my kids are intuitive enough. They've kind of figured out they, in the two that are married, found two great guys that I think they found through my example. I think mm -hmm. they were, I, I want to treat them so well that they're going to have, fun, have a hard time finding a guy that measures up the way that dad took care of their, mm -hmm. their mama. So I, I guess the instruction I would give is, um, you know, be true to yourself, be true to your own values. Um, and try and give more than you receive, I guess. And try to give more than you receive. I love it. I love it. Well, George, as it always happens, time runs out very fast when I do these interviews. And I and I I'm I'm going to invite you to come back someday because I know I, I want to hear more about the the second version of your mission because I think that that's going to be the thing that will allow you to touch even more people than just one surgeon. I mean, not that that's bad. The surgery right. was great, but I think when you're, it's almost like the principle of teaching someone to fish instead of giving them a fish. There you go. 
you're really trying to, and, and I think in the in the in the Central America, that's got to be a, a huge part of that. So if today's episode with Dr. George Quill resonated with you, I want you to download it and listen to it again and write down just one idea that you heard today that will give you some clues helping you to find and live your purpose every day. Until next time, this is Matt Barifato, the Purpose Hunter. And my challenge for everyone is to get excited about your ideas and your passion. Let people feel your emotion. If you do, you will be on your way to letting your purpose find you. Thank you, George Quill, for sharing some of your insights for your per- from your personal purpose journey with us today. Thank you, Matt. All the best to you and your family. Why I'm here.